This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. This week, it's a feature fitting for the 4th of July. We go to the ranch headquarters of the KC Cattle Company. Patrick Montgomery is a former Army Ranger who wanted to get in the business of raising Wagyu cattle and selling premium steaks. Learn how he built his herd and developed the world's best hot dog along the way. It's our topic for this week's Farm in the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. In 2020, I had the chance to use a new corn nitrogen product firsthand in my fields. Pivot Bio Proven. Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's the weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable, more productive yields than ever before. Our 2021 trial is well underway. We'll be looking at how Pivot Bioproven can help supply corn with the nitrogen it needs throughout the season. And that hopefully means the use of less synthetic nitrogen in the future, saving us money while still supplying the corn with the nutrients it needs. Pivot Bio Proven may change the way you think about nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Patrick Montgomery served his country as an Army Ranger. While he loved that role, when it came to re-enlist, he decided it was perhaps time to pursue another ambition building a cattle herd and a company delivering premium steaks. In a sense, he's combined his two passions, building a successful beef business and having veterans of the armed services work here on the ranch. Patrick will walk us through the basics of the business and share the story of how a viral article about the hot dogs they were making from their beef trimmings suddenly had them scrambling to fulfill a deluge of orders. It's a story fitting for the 4th of July, with steaks, hot dogs, and patriotism all rolled into one. So, Patrick, take me back how many years here. You're getting out of the armed forces. You're looking for a business. You're getting out of college. Give me the evolution of, of this business here. Yeah, so I got out of the military in 2014, and I went back to the University of Missouri at Columbia to uh, do an undergrad in animal science to pursue a career path in um, veterinary medicine. Um, you know, changed career paths along the way and ambitions and uh, I kind of found this inner passion for business and entrepreneurship, and so I put the business plan for Casey Cattle Company together my last semester of school and uh, hit the ground running when I graduated in 2016. We're going to get into the cattle side of the business, but, uh, you know, Fourth of July holiday, thank you for your service, and tell people kind of what you what you did, because I know you did a lot serving the country. Yeah, so I was a member of uh, First Ranger Battalion, and um, while I was there, I fulfilled quite a few roles. Um, did a couple deployments and, uh, yeah, it's the best job I ever had. So. so you got out of the best job you ever had and traded it for, is this the second best job you've ever had? I would have to say it's probably second best, but you, you, what I was doing before is definitely a young man's game. Um, so it, it's, uh, both has its give and takes, I guess I'll say. So did you have a background at all in farming cattle business or anything? And if not, what made you decide, Hey, I think I'd like to try this. Um, you you know, when I was deciding if I was going to get out or re-enlist, um, you know, if I stayed in, I was going to pursue a career path that was even more dangerous than the one I was doing. Um, and so my girlfriend at the time, now wife, 
I was like, well, you know, have you ever thought about anything in the civilian world, right? Um, so she she kind of brought up the interest I had for, for animals. And, you know, I started doing some research on the GI Bill and if I could afford to, you know, do essentially seven years of school to complete my undergrad and my uh, DVM. And I figured out I could. So that was kind of what triggered me, you know, pulling pulling the trigger on getting out of the military and um, pursuing a career path in animal science. So you're pursuing that, but you decide not to do the DVM, but then you decide, hey, I want to get into the cattle business. That went back to a college project. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, I was doing a minor in entrepreneurship, so that was one part of it. Uh, I had a professor whose class I took, and you know, I kind of found this inner passion for business. And then the other side was just the overall experience of you know doing the ag program at the University of Missouri. Um, I fell in love with the large animal side and, you know, the, all the money in veterinary medicines and the small animal side. So, <laughs> so we have, we've, we've, we've referenced cattle, but we haven't talked about the breed. Wagyu. Why? Wagyu. So um, the big thing is I wanted people to be able to tell a palatable difference in the product they, they buy from us. There's a ton of different options out there for folks to buy protein. Um, so we wanted to be able to provide a difference in what all the other options they could they could purchase at the time and and wagyu provides that um, there's two mutations that allow for up to 10 times the more intramuscular fat than you'd see on traditional breeds of cattle um, and that's you know the delicious stuff you want to see in your steak so uh, it's a unique eating experience that people thoroughly enjoy i think a lot of us have heard of that breed Give me some background, though. Japan is where we think of Wagyu. Is that the origin, then? Yeah, so Wagyu basically means black cow in Japanese. Um, the the breed itself originates from Japan. If you never looked up the history on it, definitely a really cool story there that, that I won't get into because it'll take up probably the remainder of our interview. But um, there's some really cool history behind how that came about, and those muta- mutations were um, bred upon and established the actual breed from what was brought over to Japan from Europe. So when you begin to get involved in this, then, how do you build a, a Wagyu ranch, in a sense, from the ground up? Um, so that was definitely a struggle, right? Uh, trying to find funding when you all you had was an idea was was tough. Uh, luckily, I had some people that, that really believed in me, mostly from my uh, military background, uh, who were willing to give me a seed investment. Um, from there, I just kind of used that money to get a proof of concept of, hey, you know, I can I can make this work. And then now we work with traditional banks, which is great to kind of be to the point where we don't get laughed out of the bank's office, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Was the idea all along then to market directly to consumers? It was not. Um, our original business model was do a little bit on the consumer side, and then, you know, the bulk would be to restaurants. Um, that business model was tough for a couple of reasons. One of the biggest being people didn't know what the heck Wagyu was yet. So, um, you know, people were like, why are you trying to charge me, you know, $8 for a pound of hamburger? Um, so in 2018, we made the divergence to really just focus all our efforts on the end consumer. Uh, and that would have been September. Um, part of that was hiring a PR firm. Um, we got some pretty awesome placements in the Today Show, Fox News, Forbes, New York Times, a couple of other big ones like that. Um, each was great. We had a you know great sales bump, and then it fell right back off. And then you know, like I was telling you, the the hot dog extravaganza is what we like to call it. In September of 2019, was really what kind of gave us a, a, an established business model. I want to get over to the hot dogs and the steaks and so forth here in just a moment, but I want to go back to you starting this we have a lot of cattle folks that be listening to this kind of give us an idea you know i think each of us might have an idea of, of bulls and cattle prices and so forth when we go to wagyu are we talking 
two times, ten times? I mean, what kind of costs are we talking for animals? Well, I mean, it, it's definitely a moving target. Um, you know, you can go anywhere from five to sixty thousand on a full blood, you know, hundred percent wagyu bull, um, and it's really the same for heifers. I mean, it's definitely a premium over what you'd pay for a traditional breed, um, which is part of why the meat's so expensive. Um, a couple of the reasons are it's a smaller frame cow, like I was telling you, and then also you're feeding up to twice as long um, as you would for for traditional breeds. So. How will they feed then compared to what we would think of as a conventional animal in Angus or Hereford? Will they feed similar or not? They feed similar, but they just gain slower. So that's a huge part of why they're so expensive. Um, it takes a really long time to get that weight on them that you need to, to have those um, loins with, I mean, just phenomenal marbling. So, I mean, you know, there there's quite a few different adages out there and, and frames of mind of, of when you should actually harvest those animals. But um I think a lot of it just depends on the genetics. So selecting on those mutations that I mentioned prior. Well, when you think about the mutations, a big difference then between a full blood and a, a half Wagyu, then how do you decide what you want to do? So it is a co-dominant trait, right? Um, so when you're taking that 100% animal and mixing it with some Angus or, or some uh, other continental breed, um, you're still seeing a lot of that benefit. So the commercial aspect of Wagyu has really picked up in the last couple of years. There's some, there's some big ranches here in Missouri and then across the country that are getting on board with it um, and introducing some of those genetics into their herd. Um, because I think that's what people want to see. They want to see prime steak. I mean, that's the that's the one um, form of beef that's that sales are just increasing like crazy. They just can't make enough of it. So um, I think it'll be kind of an interesting to see what happens with the breed within the next five to ten years here. Or so, but if you decide to introduce some wagyu into a conventional herd. What percent do you think it takes to increase your marbling score versus what you're doing? Would everything you grade be prime then? So about ninety five percent grade out prime. Um, on the full blood side, it's it's dang near close to hundred. So um, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, but it takes a minute to figure out the feeding side and the genetic side. So, what do you do for processing? Uh, we're all over the place. Uh, 2020 was not kind to us on the processing side, um, just like a lot of folks. So, uh, we, we started out with a great local processor here in, in the Kansas city area. Um, for the first three years we were in business and we still do some work with them. Um, they actually still do our hot dogs and our brats and some of the other more popular items we sell. Um, and we moved up to Omaha last year to a processor up in that area, um, a much bigger scale. We just needed the capacity, um, and now we're actually working with one south of here that's just opening up in Butler, Missouri, that we're we're pretty excited about. So walk us through then what happens. We we referenced the the sales side. You were already selling meat, and then the hot dogs. Where did that come from? Because you, you know, often you think of, well, we got these steaks, we're not going to make hot dogs, but the hot dog thing launched you in, in, in a way. It was. It definitely was. You, you one of the big. Uh, Issues you run into selling meat, especially on cattle, is you know you, you get a ton of trim per animal, um, and it was killing really our cash side. We just have so much money tied up in, in trim that we couldn't push. Um, our hamburger sold great in about a one or even two to one ratio to our steaks, but you know we're producing about five to one, um, so that that deficit kind of just kept going. Uh, one of the ideas I had was you know creating a couple more SKUs that were were using those items. Um, hot dogs was one of them, and it was actually one of our worst sellers when we launched it. Um, so I thought it was a pretty big dud, and we were sending them all over the place, these different publications. And you know we we got some placements and other articles, but um, you know we sent one to Food and Wine. 
uh, probably would have been July of 2019 there. Never heard anything back. Pretty common. Um, you know, we just figured they didn't like them. And, uh, you know, as a random Thursday, I was over at a neighbor's property helping them with some fence. And um, also my phone just started blowing up. Um, you know, we had, we had, I have a point of sales app on my phone, so I get notifications. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And, you know, we'd seen this before with the Today Show or, um, you know, other, other major publications. And so I called the PR firm. I'm like, you know, what is going on? And they're like, oh, we don't think anything happened. So I'm like, well, that's weird. So I'm driving back home. And, you know, within that span, span of time of getting back home, I refresh our website and we got about a half million people on the website. And I'm like, something is going on. Um, so they call back and they figure out it was a food and wine article that had gone viral called, you know, we found a hot dog that tastes like steak. And they, you know, proclaimed that we had the, the best hot dog in the world. Um, so like I was telling you, you know, death by growth was the, the forefront of my mind, right? Because it was one and a half of us working here at the time. Um, and we had 30 packs of hot dogs in stock when this happened. So we had to figure out how to get, you know, 10,000 pounds of trim and, uh, you know, all of our steaks were back ordered and everything else. So it was definitely a stressful couple months after it happened, but. Well, we all want business growth, but what do you do in that moment? Because you went, I don't want to say you went from zero to a hundred, but you, I mean, how do you, how do you fill that? And then how do you have happy customers? Because people order, they want product. Well, I think a big part of, you know, being successful in that situation was the military, uh, being in stressful situations was nothing I was a stranger to. Um, and you just kind of learn how to adapt when you're in the military. So it was like, all right, well, we're going to figure out how to get through this. And, you know, I put a plan of action together. How am I going to source the trim? You know, got on the phone with the processor at 11 o'clock at night to, you know, ask how the heck he's going to make 10,000 hot dogs in the next month and a half. And, um, you know, we just, we figured it out. Right. And throughout that entire process, we were extremely transparent with our customers. I mean, sending emails almost daily, um, telling people, Hey, here's, here's where you're at right now. Here's the order that we're shipping. So you still got, you know, another week and a half to two weeks before you're going to get your product. And, you know, people like that. They like the fact that, Hey, this small company, one, they saw success. And then two, you know, they're doing a really good job of just being honest with us. And, you know, if they asked for us to cancel their order, it wasn't, Oh, are you sure? You know, it wasn't any sales tactic. It was absolutely, we totally understand why you wouldn't want to wait eight, eight weeks for an order. So, um, I think that was kind of the big part and why a lot of those folks came back and became repeat business. Well, even people that canceled their orders, you still had their information and I'm guessing a lot of them did come back, didn't they? Probably about 20% that canceled their orders eventually came back once we, you know, could carry inventory again and placed orders and, you know, became customers. So how do you deal though with inventory? Because, you know, cattle producers, we think all the time, well, Hey, I should start selling retail. I could get some more money out of these animals, which is great. But does the inventory process just I won't say kill you, but I, I don't know how you manage it. I guess you learn. Andrew, I'm not sure if I have the answer to that yet. We were still learning. Um, last year, like I was telling you, it was brutal. Uh, we were sold out for about four months last year just because we couldn't get appointments. Um, it's something we've come a long way in in the last four years, but it's still a work in progress. And having more processors come online is definitely a huge benefit for that community to, to have some more options to be able to, you know, be able to harvest the animals they need to. So, um that's kind of the big part is one, making sure you don't get all your cash tied up in trim, and then two, just being able to have the flexibility to add or take away appointments. So, well, you know, sometimes folks that aren't in the ag community say, well, I'll just take more steaks out of that animal or I want more hot dogs. It doesn't quite work that way. So how do you begin to balance that out and try to sell through what you've got? Um, 
the steaks sell themselves. We're perpetually sold out of steaks. Um, the the trim is the big thing. This year we've we've started doing some wholesale opportunities again for the first time in about three years. Um, you know, we we did a partnership with Sporting KC. It's a MLS soccer team here in Kansas City. So um, we're we're selling a ton of hot dogs to them. Every hot dog in the stadium is ours. Um, we've looked hooked up with a bunch of local high bees so we're starting to push some product through uh, those channels as well and uh, the other big part is just making sure we're staying on top of coming up with more items that you know people like and enjoy um, my big thing is always we don't add a product just to sell it it's got to be something that every person on this team loves and thinks is the best thing they've ever tasted from the Berkshire pork down to our hot dogs um, and that's worked really well for me. It's just always trying to serve our consumer instead of just trying to grow the business, you know? So did you think the hot dogs tasted like steak when you tasted them the first time? You know, I wouldn't say that it tastes like steak. They're definitely unique. Uh, and if you cook them wrong, it's like eating a bootstrap. My wife who does our marketing would yell at me for saying this on an interview, but it's true. I mean, you got to cook them correctly and, and it's definitely don't expect, you know, a ballpark Frank when you, when you try it. So, uh. So what did you do then? The trim, does it have to be a certain percentage Wagyu? How do you, what what is the makeup, I guess, of that, that Wagyu hot dog? Yeah, so all the trim is Wagyu. It comes okay. from, the, the the hot dog is 100% Wagyu. Um, our brat, we mix in some bacon ends to kind of make it a little more forgivable if you throw them on the grill. Um, and those are delicious. I mean, you can't go wrong with bacon, Wagyu beef, and cheese, right? So those are pretty fantastic, too. Not good for you. So eat, eat in, uh, in uh, small portions, but they're delicious. So, You know, for those of us that, that aren't familiar with maybe what the, the steak looks like, obviously more marbling. What would Wagyu steaks go for a pound compared to, you know, my ribeye that I always like? Uh, it's almost, especially now, I'd say it's almost double um, what you would buy at the store for traditional stuff. Or, you know, for us, an equivalent farm-raised product, it'd be about double. Um, with beef prices being what they are, we've become a little more competitive even with traditional beef. So, um, for example, our, our ribeyes are about 35 to $40 a pound for the half-blood stuff. So it's it's definitely not cheap. And if you go full blood, what does it go? Oh, man. You can start upwards. Uh, I mean, for a steak, because all our steaks are, are plus a pound almost. Um, I mean, we're talking 65 to 90 bucks a steak. It's it's expensive. The market for that steak, though, is there. Is that right? It's there. I mean, pe- people want the experience. And um, like I was telling you, I mean, we can't keep them in stock. And uh, I don't like raising prices, but we've kind of had to the last couple of years with, with some of the stuff going on in the economy. And I mean, it still sells out. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> Would people notice a difference between your steak and one that's raised in Japan? Be the same breed? Are they doing things different there than they that we do here? Definitely do it different. Um, you know, people always ask about Kobe beef. I feel like almost everybody knows about Kobe beef. When somebody looks at me with you know a puzzled face after I say Wagyu, I always go to Kobe beef. Um, and what I like to tell people is all Kobe is Wagyu, but not all Wagyu is Kobe. Um, so Kobe is a region in Japan that raises Kobe beef. Um, there's not a re- lot of regulations on that marketing here in the United States, but uh, that's just a, a good a good um, segue into the fact that the Japanese do a fantastic job with their beef. Um, it's relatively new here in America, so we're still learning. I would definitely say some of the full blood stuff we we've sell though comes close to being A five, which is you know their grading scale for for BMS. So, have you been over there? Talk to some of those folks. See what they do. 
it's it's on my agenda. So you know, this year's still a little weird for travel, but it might might happen in twenty twenty two. So, so what would you see different? Would it be the feeding is is different? Uh, how they're raising them? What what is different? The husbandry is definitely different, and then also the nutrition is different. Um, they they do some stuff with their nutrition that's just tough to source here in America. Um, but it's something I'd like to try to give a shot. So I wouldn't mind linking up with some of those folks and kind of learning. So. One thing that we haven't discussed, but I think is certainly a part of the story that attracts people is, is, you know, we we began by talking about your service. You certainly try to bring people that were a part of the service back here to this company. Yeah, uh, it's probably my favorite part of this company is uh, the crew that works out here. Um, we're all veterans uh, from different branches of the service. We've hired Air Force, Marines, uh Army guys and Navy. Uh, I did not leave out the Coast Guard, but we have not hired anybody from the Coast Guard, nor have we had an applicant. Um, so it's a it's a culture here. Um, it's definitely a lot of camaraderie and, and and something we all seek after we get out of the military. It's the part we all miss the most, um, and it's a benefit to myself and the company because we all speak the same language, we all have the same work ethic. Um, and we just always mesh and, you know, like what, what I like to tell people is, you know, we're, we're here for a hand up, not a handout. Um, I think there's plenty of handouts for veterans in the community. And, um, I, I just think it's a disservice to veterans. I think veterans have a lot to offer the country after they get out of the military and we just need to change that narrative a little bit. Certainly we have a lot of farmers that did serve in the military, but this company is in a sense, almost all veterans working here. What would we notice different about how this farm operates versus another farm, do you think? Well, we get a, a little bit different of a sense of humor, I guess. And, and, you know, people are always kind of blown away. They comment about the culture here and not in a bad sense, even though we do have a bit of a morbid sense of humor, but more so in the fact that, um, you know, you just pick up immediately the fact that we all care about each other. Um, it's not just an employee to me and I'm not just a boss to them. It's, it's, it's people that really care about each other. Um, and, you know, even if they're coming here without the goal of becoming a full-time employee, it's like, okay, well, what can we do? How can I use my network to help, you know, make sure you achieve your goals, whether it's um, doing something else in the contracting community or you want to do something else in business. Uh, we really try to, um, really try to strong arm our community here in Kansas City area to make sure we can make those things happen. So, so what's next for the KC Cattle Company? Where are we headed from here? Um, probably the big thing that's just taken up a huge part of our time this year is we're, we're working on a new building in the city. Um, so we're moving our logistics down there. It's going to be an order fulfillment center, and then we're doing a, an artisan butcher shop. And then, um, you know, we have a pretty cool barbecue restaurant that is leasing a space from us that we're pretty excited about bringing to the north land of Kansas City. So. Any changes on the farm and what you do? I'm sure that you continue to learn something all the time about how you how you raise these animals. Um, I, th- I think I told you one of my one of my goals there is is to to really become knowledgeable about how to do wagyu the full blood wagyu the best in the country, um, and so that's really kind of what we're working on, and we're being patient there because. I mean, you just gotta you gotta pick and choose where where your uh, working capital is going, and you know, right now we gotta we gotta build the front end of the business and make sure we can get people's orders to them in a fa- in a fashionable sense. And then, um, you know, I'd like to kind of move backwards and and really plus up the farm and and have a ton of full blood out here that that is just an impressive operation. So, well, I bet as Wagyu producers, you all are talking in the nation. Do you have association meetings like we would think of with Angus and Herford and so forth? We do. There there's an American Wagyu association um 
I was definitely a lot more involved with them at the the beginning of of starting Casey Cattle Company, but it's out there. Um, the we we work with a couple other producers, one up in Iowa and one up over in Western Kansas. That that they raise a fantastic product and and really know what they're doing. So um, if you can't beat them, join them. And and we all got to take care of each other in this community. So where can people find you? Um, CaseyCattleCompany.com is our website. If you you know have questions or or anything like that, you know you can always reach out to us on social media at CaseyCattleCompany.com or our email at contact us at CaseyCattleCompany.com. As Patrick mentioned, raising Wagyu cattle certainly has some things that make it different than raising some more traditional breeds found here in the U.S. But the demand for his beef is strong, and he has learned the interest in some of those other products like hot dogs and brats can be very strong as well. He's continuing to build and grow the ranch and beef company. I appreciate you joining us either on your local radio station or via the podcast. Remember, you can follow Farm in the Countryside on Facebook or catch updates by following myself on platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter as well. I'll catch you next time on Farm in the Countryside. Farm in the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.